and welcome to a new episode of Tempo. I'm Julie Tonke, music reporter. I've uh, got a special episode today. This year is the 45th anniversary of one of country music's landmark albums. So, 45 years ago, a bunch of young, long-haired California country rock hippies, nitty-gritty dirt band, enlisted some pioneers of country and bluegrass music, Mother Maybell Carter, Roy Acuff, Earl Scruggs, a whole bunch of others to perform some of the genre's most indelible songs. The resulting triple LP, Will the Circle Be Unbroken, introduced those legends who were sort of being ignored in the era of country politan and the Nashville sound to an entirely new generation. So my guest today is one of the founding members of the Nitty Gritty Dirt Band, Jeff Hanna. Hey, Jeff. Hey, Julie. How are you today? I'm well. Yourself? I'm great. Thanks. Thanks so much for coming in to talk to me about this crazy mammoth record. <laughs> I'm really happy to talk about it. It's something we're super proud of. Yeah, so tell me, where'd you guys get this idea? We're gonna, we're gonna get all these great legends and see if they'll be on a record with us. It was kind of a convergence of ideas uh, and, and, and also the things that happened. Um, our band was touring colleges relentlessly in 1969 and 70, and we made a tour stop in the fall of 1970 in Nashville and played Vanderbilt University. Well, um, we found out I can't remember if it was right before or right after the concert that Earl Scruggs was, and his family, his wife Louise and his sons Gary, Randy, and Steve were in attendance. No pressure. No pressure, no. But that was the first time we met the Scruggs family and, you know, and particularly John McEwen was particularly nervous and beside himself because this is his idol, you know, five-string banjo player. And we actually recorded Randy Lynn Rag, which is named after Randy, one of Earl's sons. Uh, and that's on an album that I'll reference in a second. So we met Earl and his family and had a great time. We spent a couple hours with him backstage after the show. And as we were, uh, you know, all getting up to leave, Earl said something along the lines of, hey, if you guys would ever be interested in doing a little recording, I'd love to do that. And we were like, wow. What a compliment, you know, mm -hmm. from Earl, Earl Scruggs said that. So cut forward uh, to, the, to the, I think it was the spring or early summer of 71, the Earl Scruggs Review was playing in, uh, in Colorado, which we had recently relocated to, by the way, from, uh, from California. And uh, they played this club called Tulagi's in Boulder. And John and I went to see them. and. Uh, John was driving Earl back to the hotel after the show, and I was sitting in the back seat, and he asked Earl if, um, if he'd like to record with us. And Earl said, well, I'd be proud to. Well, that was, you know, the beginning of that. Then there were conversations later. Uh, the next thing I knew, I got a phone call from Bill McEwen, who was John's brother, our producer, and our manager as well. and. Uh, he essentially said, you know, I just talked to Earl. What would you guys think about doing a, a, a broader uh, a, a project that had much broader scope than just you guys and just you guys and Earl playing together, like having Doc Watson on the record or Merle Travis or Roy Acuff? And we, you know, we were all like, of course, what a great idea. We'd love to do that. Getting to hang out in the studio you know, getting to hang out with those guys was enough, but getting to record with them was really phenomenal. So these conversations continued. Earl and Louise Scruggs, I must note, 
really opened a lot of doors for us here in Nashville um, because we didn't know Merle Travis and uh, and Doc Watson. Oh, I might point out by the way, the week after we we went and saw Earl, John went and saw Doc Watson and Merle Watson play the same club in mm-hmm. Boulder, and asked Doc if he'd like to take part. And there was a, there was sort of a theme going on. Um, with the younger generation. You know, Merle was a fan of our bands as well. And uh, I think having Doc's son Merle say nice things about our band was really a, a positive thing. And of course, Earl's boys, uh, Randy and Gary and Steve, were, were, uh, had some great things to say about this record, Uncle Charlie, that we had just released. So that kind of, you know, having Earl and Doc as the start was really great. Um, and, and Bill, uh, you know, we, we were all on board at that point. Then we came to Nashville, and uh, we had played with Merle Travis back in the 60s when we were still a jug band in Los Angeles, and I think 1966 or 67. So we knew Merle already. Uh, we wanted to get Bill Monroe, but Bill Monroe famously turned us down. <laughs> um, he said he didn't think that his fans would understand him playing with us. So, uh, you know bunch of hippies that, when the record was successful did he ever go back on well, it? well you know when the record was successful he did we we no he didn't I mean we actually I think we asked him to play on the second record as well he just you know uh, respectfully declined we actually jammed with uh, Bill Monroe on a couple occasions he was great couldn't have been more gracious we traveled with him in Europe years later on a big tour over there uh, but it just wasn't meant to be but we got Jimmy Martin which was great, and I, I was, you know, actually, uh, there was a couple of us in the band, me and Jimmy Fadden and Jimmy Ibbotson, uh, that really were not that familiar with Jimmy Martin's material. We'd heard Bill and John playing his music, but we weren't that, because they were always, they, were, they would jam on, you know, Honey, You Don't Know My Mind, or, you know, one of those great uh, Jimmy tunes, but uh, it was our first real exposure to Jimmy Martin when we did the record, except for John and Les and Bill. They all knew him. Knew, you know. No, they were, they were hardcore bluegrass guys. They were the bluegrass guys, yeah. So they, uh, yeah, I, I mean, met Les Thompson, by the way, when I pointed that out, who played mandolin and, and bass in our band in the early years. Um, yeah, so we came to Nashville. We had, uh, you know, I, I think the Earl actually suggested after Bill Monroe declined that Jimmy Martin would be a great idea and, and Bill and John of course were like yeah heck yeah we know Jimmy we're, we're huge fans so uh, at this point we had we had Doc Watson and we had Earl and, and Jimmy Martin and Earl uh, suggested Vassar Clements on fiddle and and famously John actually said well Vassar that's who's this guy Vassar is, is he any good and, and Earl said well he'll do <laughs> the genius Vassar Clemens. So that worked out great. Having 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 Vassar on fiddle and and uh, Junior Husky on bass, and um, uh, Norman Blake played Dober on that record as well. So it was it was a great cast of characters. We were really really honored to be in, you know part of this whole sort of uh, big old band in the studio. Yeah, and you guys recorded uh, over down the river a little bit we cut it over in woodland yep woodland sound studios uh and uh we spent six days recording and uh 
you know, recorded, all of it was recorded live, which in addition to the spontaneity factor and the, you know, we were all, you know, super obviously on our toes. If we didn't get a take, we had to just start all over again. But in addition to the excitement and the spontaneity, everybody was really on their toes. You know, it was, it was uh, playing with those guys really up to our game as well. So we had such a blast and so much fun. And, and sonically, it really helped. Yeah, 30 IPS, quarter-inch tape recorded live was just a really, really wonderful. The audio is really, really brilliant. Yeah, I think my favorite thing is um, the, the tape that sort of catches all the dialogue. Um, you, you hear Doc Watson and Merle Travis meeting, and Doc's, you know, I named my son for you. Oh, yeah. Um, all these great moments. Uh, did you guys have that idea to just that, run the tape? That was Bill McEwen's again. You know, once we got into this, Bill had a real concept about this thing being a, you know, uh, something that felt super intimate, where you're going to hear these stories, you're going to hear people talking, and, and you know, uh, again, you know, I didn't really realize that, you know, he played us back a couple conversations in the, it, during the course, you know, after hours in the studio. I was like, wow, that's really great. What are you going to do with that? He said, well, you know, I'll let you know. <laughs> Again, so Bill was back. There was a seven and a half IPS tape running all the time um, in the studio, so uh, he didn't he didn't miss anything and and did a great job of, you know, editing that stuff and and and, and dropping it all in where it belonged. Yeah, I, I can't imagine. I mean, like watching Maybell Carter do Wildwood Flower must have been just like watching Michelangelo do the Sistine Chapel, where you just sort of amazed like how like what what's your mindset well there's a <laughs> there's a picture of me um and she's playing and she's she's singing uh, it wasn't wildwood flower but it must have might have been uh, thinking tonight in my blue eyes she's got her guitar in her hand and i'm just we're all just kind of hunkered down in front of her listening and trying to work out the harmony parts but we were so enthralled with maybell carter i mean her the carter family's influence on all of us went back to way before there was a dirt band when we were just kids learning how to, you know, uh, getting interested in folk music. Um, I had a Pete Seeger instruction book on how to play guitar when I was a kid, and, you know, Wildwood Flower was part of that thing. I learned how to play the Carter Scratch. Um, but so sitting in a room with Maybell while she's doing it, and she invented it, <laughs> you know, and then you got Merle Travis who invented Travis-style picking and and earl scrug style i mean it's like you were we were with the, just so many innovators and, and as you pointed out pioneers earlier uh, it was it was astounding but she was great her presence was really you know she was just she was regal but in a real homespun way you know it's very sweet uh, we were all careful about you know, there wasn't a lot watch of... The language. Watch the language. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> there was a lot of language watching. But, you know, she she was just... Uh, she was just delightful. Really, really lovely. Now, did, did most of these folks uh, know who you guys were? Did, did Earl sort of run interference? Uh, you know, this is the nitty-gritty dirt band. Um, I think that... I think that there was a, a... You know, I think most of the folks had a pretty good idea who we were because we, we had this big hit song, Mr. Bojangles, on the radio right about then uh, that was on this album called Uncle Charlie. Uncle Charlie and his dog Teddy is the full title. But that record included a good bit of bluegrass on it. We had a Ralph Stanley uh, instrumental called Clinch Mountain Backstep and 
we did, uh, you know, as I mentioned earlier, Randy Lynn Rag. So, and the banjo and the mandolin were used throughout the record. You know, our, our version of country rock, did, we didn't have a pedal steel guitar player, but we sort of had more kind of a, a mountainy approach uh, with a bass and drums and electric guitar as well. But, uh, yeah, that record was really successful. So I think that a lot of the folks on the album were familiar with it, so in some cases through their kids. Uh, Roy Acuff, I think, was maybe the one exception. I, I have a quote that Roy Acuff told one of the Tennessean reporters in 71. It's actually printed on one of the, uh, the inner liners. Uh, so he, he, 1971, uh, Tennessean reporter Jack Hurst goes to Woodland Studios, and he asked Roy Acuff, and Roy says, I'll just tell you, they are very nice young boys. <laughs> well, to be honest with you, I couldn't tell whether they were young boys or old men. But they were very interesting, and they certainly knew what they were doing. So I guess that, that's a compliment. That's a super compliment. Now, that was after he was involved in the record. But our first meeting with him, which took place at uh, Acuff Rose Music over there on 8th Avenue, I believe, um, didn't go that well. It, he kind of walked out of there just, you know, wondering whether what we were going to do with these you know, amazing Hank Williams songs and stuff, you know, and whether we were really going to honor the music. Um, so as he left, Wesley Rose really helped us on that, by the way, set that meeting up. And, and uh, when he left, Wesley came back in the room and kind of went, well, I'm not sure how that went, boys, you know, <laughs> we'll see. But, but, but uh, Mr. Acuff came to the studio after we had cut some size with Merle Travis and uh, he asked Bill to play him a track, and I can't remember what it was. It might have been Nine Pound Hammer or Dark as a Dungeon, one or the other. And he sat there kind of quietly. We were all, you know, pins and needles, <laughs> which is another song he cut, by the way, Pins and Needles in My Heart. We were all sitting there nervously awaiting his response, and he just said, well, that ain't nothing but country. <laughs> I'll be here tomorrow. <laughs> be ready. So... Uh, Oh, man, that's both sigh of relief and holy crap. Yeah, holy crap, exactly. No, we were thrilled, and he he was so great. And he came in and sang on the Second Circle record as well. He was really, really gracious uh, to our band, but it took a little, you know, it took a little nudging to get him involved, and I'm glad that uh, glad it worked out. Yeah, I really can't imagine that record without him. Me neither. So what... What, um, obviously, the record came out, uh, it was successful, but what effect did it have on you guys uh, as a band? It was interesting because uh, initially, when, when Bill first asked us uh, how we felt about, you know, doing this record, it was also dropping what we were doing and doing this record because we had this big record on the charts right then. And I remember, you know, we talked about, man, <laughs> this, the, in terms of like the momentum of being a mainstream at that point sort of rock act um, doing a bluegrass album might seem a little uh, strange to some folks um, in terms of the timing so uh, and of course you know now 45 years later I'm so glad that we just said screw it and mm -hmm. did it you know uh, but, you know, it took us a minute to get back in the groove on our regular career, if that makes any sense, you know. Yeah. Uh, again, we had just sort of gotten up and running in, in our, it's it sort of front end of our uh, career as a country rock band, which is what we are still right now. Um, 
So yeah, we were a little apprehensive about that. And am I, you know, the way it affected us immediately in, in the aftermath was you know, everybody loved the record. So we were really glad that we took, you know, this calculated risk. Um, you know, and, and in terms of from a personal level, there was never any question it was a great idea, you know. But showbiz, pfft, who cares, right? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> it's all worked out. I'm not going to complain about it. Jimmy Emmitson likes to say, you know, this matters so much more on our permanent record <laughs> than, any than any random album that we might have recorded. Yeah, yeah. And it's, I mean, it's triple LP. There's, there's almost 40 songs on there. Yep. It's, it's a substantial uh substantial record it, it's a heap in helping you know <laughs> <laughs> that's the truth and then you guys followed up with uh with two more volumes uh we did yeah we took our time as a 89 and 02 I think. yeah uh initially back in you know the early 80s um we had changed management and our our, our manager at the time chuck morris started talking about well you guys ought to do another circle record you know we we're like ah, you know this thing's kind of it stands on its own. Why would you want to do a sequel to something that mattered that much? Um, and that was kind of our attitude. At least there, most of the band felt that way. Well, we were touring, I think it was in sometime in 1988. We were on the road in Europe with the Johnny Cash show. Um, and June Carter cash loved to come and hang out in our dressing room and you know she always had great stories to tell and she always spoke about Maybell and how she how fondly she felt about our band and called us them dirty boys and <laughs> we got a kick out of that so one of those one of those afternoons as she was walking out of the the dressing room she said you know if you boys ever thought about doing another circle record John and I would really love to be involved we were like well there you go. Sold. They're sold. <laughs> now, this is 17 years later, so we didn't feel like we jumped right in and did another sequel. And then, you know, we did the, uh, the album after that 13 or 14 years later as well. So, it, you know, we just, it always felt like it was the right time. Um, circle, volume 2 was, again, a great experience. You know, the, vo the first album is the first album. You never get to do the first thing more than once. <laughs> um, but the second record was really, really great fun to make as well. And we had Johnny Cash and the Carter sisters, Anita, Helen, and June um, were part of that. Earl Scruggs came back and played. Randy Scruggs co-produced the record with us, which was great. And we cut it at Scruggs Sound, his studio over in Berry Hill. Um, and we, you know, at that point, you know, it was sort of our view of how we felt about country and roots music at that point, 1988. So we had Levon Helm, um, she, uh, the Newgrass Revival. Bela Fleck. And yeah, with Bela and Sam and, and uh, John Cowan and, and, and Pat Flynn. Um, uh, we also had John Hyatt, uh, Roseanne Cash, uh, a number of great folks, singer-songwriters, you know. We got we got Chris Hillman and Roger McGuinn to come in and do nice. You Ain't Gone Nowhere, which was really a thrill for us because we love that from the Birds' <laughs> Sweetheart of the Rodeo album, which really had a big influence on us 
becoming a country rock, California country rock band in 69. Came out a year before that. Um, and so, uh, and a funny story, Bruce Hornsby, uh, who's on that record and, and brilliant musician, I had read a, an interview in, uh, I think it was Tower Pulse magazine that, when Tower Records existed. And they had a great little bit called Desert Island Discs. And, it, 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 and he named these records that you would take to the desert island. You know, that was a, his favorite albums. And Will the Circle Be Unbroken, surprisingly, was one of those. Because, you know, Bruce was this kind of jazz-flavored pop star at that point. And I was a huge fan of his. So I just cold-called him and said, hey, we're doing another Circle record. How would you feel about taking part in that? He says, I'm in. Sign me up. Nice. So, uh, yeah. And then immediately we said, well, what, do you want, what would you like to cut? And he said, well, let's do the Valley Road. Well, the Valley Road was still on the charts, I think, as a pop hit <laughs> at that point. So uh, we, we were scratching, again, scratching our heads. Be, you know, be, I've learned that you've got to be careful about <laughs> Jumping to conclusions, you know, like I said, the first album. Should we do this now? Blah, blah, blah. Should we cut the Valley Road as a bluegrass tune? Would, after I, you know, we got in there and started playing, it was like, yeah, <laughs> this totally works. And we actually won a Grammy for that uh, Best Bluegrass recording of 1989 for that bluegrass piano of Bruce Hornsby. <laughs> of course, and, you know, now he's cutting records with Ricky Skaggs. And oh, yeah, no, no, I mean, he... He's really the real deal when it comes. There's no question yeah. that his, uh, you know, he's bona fide. <laughs> Ricky is a, a serious bluegrasser. He just did a record that he played dulcimer on, you know, as in, instead of piano, which is really brilliant, actually. That's amazing. I'm going to go see him. He's playing the skirmahorn in June. Oh, yeah? June 19th. Will this be on before then? Yeah, yeah, it'll there be on before go. then. All right, go sure. see him. Awesome. If CMA Fest doesn't kill me, I'll be there. Uh, and it might. Uh, every year, it's... Just white knuckle it. <laughs> we played last year, and it was fun. We hadn't been to, it was still called Fanfare, I think, mm -hmm. the last time we did CMA Fest. And we, we played at the stadium, which was really interesting. Had, had never done that particular venue, um, but it was because it was at the fairgrounds mm -hmm. back in the day. So it was a big production, but we had fun. It was great. Yeah, now you guys are sort of in that elder statesman role that, you know, you guys worshipped Acuff and Monroe, and um, as John McEwen famously said during your 50th anniversary at the Ryman, uh, we started out, we were on the road to buy diapers, and now <laughs> we're on the road to buy diapers. <laughs> yeah, and he said, well, it depends. <laughs> yeah, he did say that, and he's right. I mean, it, it, uh, we're older. I believe we're all older than anybody on Circle One was. So there you go. We are definitely, we're definitely the elder something. <laughs> statesman, I don't know. I don't know if we qual qualify as statesman, but uh, yeah, it's, it's interesting being in this role. We felt that way on the second record to some degree. I think we were in our, yeah, about four, yeah, I guess, I guess we were more in the middle ground at that point. Medium statesman. Yeah, yeah, medium statesman. But yeah, I, the record is so valuable because um, you know not long after recording uh, the first Circle record, uh, Junior Husky passed away, yeah. and then and then Maybell Carter within five or ten years, yeah, um, as well. So it, it's really great to sort of have this this snapshot of them at that time. Oh yeah, I mean I'm really grateful for that. Again, just being able to spend time with them, um, and you, you know yeah, it, it's 
it's bittersweet looking at the cover of that record. Uh, I guess where yeah. we still we've still got Norman Blake, uh, but in terms of oh yeah yeah, and the on the featuring there you got we've lost Maybell and Earl and Doc and Roy Acuff and Merle Travis and Jimmy Martin and Vassar, Junior Husky of course and and uh, Oswald Kirby, so B Kirby great Dobo player so it's your brother know, Oswald yeah yeah great guy and, and uh, again you know it was so much fun one of the things I loved uh, I've been living here by the way for I moved here in 1985 so that's what uh, 12 32 years uh, quite a while and one of the things I always loved doing was Earl Scruggs used to have these big birthday parties you know picking parties and Pete Kirby was always there I loved seeing Pete and a great really really cool cat but you'd have the McCurries and you know all of the great pickers were there at any given time when Earl threw a, a birthday party really really fun what a cool cat Earl Scruggs is, was one of the coolest guys I ever knew and again his involvement in that first album can't be overstated he had such a well man such a positive influence on that getting made okay now I heard a story uh, I don't know if it's a, a if it's apocryphal or not, but uh, when the record went gold, you guys went to Maybell Carter's home. Uh, John did. John did. Yeah, yeah. And presented her with her first gold record. So I'm told. Yeah, yeah. It's pretty amazing when you consider it's the Carter family. You know? Right. Yeah. And then uh, years later, I had a platinum album, and I took it to uh, John and June and gave it to June. You know, that mm -hmm. had Maybell's name on it, and she was really tickled and moved by that. She uh, she appreciated that a lot. And then she made me breakfast, which I thought was really cool. I'm, I'm sitting I'm sitting in John and June's kitchen, and June Carter Cash is frying me eggs. And I'm like, man, this is aw awfully nice. <laughs> and I played on Johnny's record that same day. I played on the uh, American Four, uh, The Man Comes Around. So you just stuck around. I, I, I didn't know I was going to stick around. I, I got in my car and took off, and my cell phone started ringing, and um, I picked it up, and it was Randy Scruggs saying, hey, John was talking and said, uh, I think Jeff would like to play guitar this afternoon on a tune. <laughs> so, you know, I'd gotten home and threw my guitar in the car and hightailed it back out to Hendersonville. Got to play on Desperado on that album. I was really, really proud of that. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, it was really super awesome. It was a good day. For real. Yeah. Any day it starts with I know. a platinum record and homemade yeah. breakfast yep. and ends with you just playing on a, on a Johnny Cash record. Uh, pretty, pretty brilliant. Absolutely. So what else is going on? Uh, Nitty Gritty Dirt Band still rolling. Still uh, rolling. Yeah. We're on tour this year. Uh, we, we're on tour every year, actually. But we're still, you know, we're kind of at the tail end of the celebration for the, the, uh, the 50th anniversary. That's going to continue through... Uh, the rest of our touring year this year. We're going to head up to Canada in October. We'll be on the road all through the summer. Um, and hopefully we'll get in the studio and cut some new stuff, but that would be fun. Uh, we, haven't, we haven't released a new album in a few years. And, uh, well, we did have, there is a record of the, the Ryman Show mm -hmm. that we're really and proud of. And a DVD of. as well. Yeah, a record and DVD, which is uh, uh, really proud of that. It was such a great night. Were you there? I was. It was like four hours long. It was amazing. Yeah. Uh, everyone's butts were numb from the Ryman view, <laughs> but did not care. 
And we were all going, I don't want to sit down. <laughs> it's past my bedtime. Yeah. Well, that was a long, it was, actually it was a long day because we, we got there about 11 a.m. and did a four-hour sound check and had been rehearsing wow. for two days prior to that. So you play, You guys played like eight hours that day, we show did, plus sound check. We pretty much did. I mean, when we finished our sound check slash rehearsal, uh, we had just enough time to like, you know, scarf down a, a plate of something from catering and uh, put on our, you know, dirt band clothes and run out there and play. But it was great. I mean, and I, I've, I've said this a couple of times, but we, we were a little tired. But the crowd was so great that immediately it was like we were, you know, being injected with Red Bull. Boom, the energy just, you know, woke us all up. Oh, yeah, and so many killer guests, uh, Allison Krauss and yeah. Sam Bush. and. Oh, yeah, I mean, Allison, Sam, Jerry Douglas, Byron House, Rodney Crowell, Vince Gill, Jackson Brown, Jimmy Ibbotson, um, Jerry Jeff Walker, John Prime. Incredible. Great night. We were, and, you know, again, grateful to have friends like that. But each and every one of those folks, we either recorded with them, uh, which some of them multiple times, like, like Jerry Douglas um, and Sam, or uh, in the case of Jackson, he was a really, really early member of our band when we were a jug band. We were all just teenagers in Southern California. But we had never actually, the entire band and Jackson had never played together on stage since he left. Oh, wow. Yeah, so that was really, really great. Yeah, he's a cool guy. Now that was fun. It was so much fun. And again, you know, we had to we had to stop recording a couple of times because of some snafu with the cameras, the recording truck, or whatever. And the crowd was, I think they were louder on the redos. <laughs> Very possibly. <laughs> no, it was it was something. Yeah, that was definitely definitely a good night. And I think the documentary was on PBS for it, for a little bit. It was it was. They're, they're still showing it. But uh, the DVD has uh, about a half hour more music um, on the the one that's available on Warner Brothers, and the the CD is really cool as well. Got about eighteen or nineteen songs on it. Awesome, yeah. So if any of you suckers were not at the Ryman that night, I uh, should get the should get the DVD. Thank you. I appreciate the plug. <laughs> <laughs> Jeff, thank you so much for for stopping by to talk about uh, one of my favorite records uh, of all time. Thank you, Julie. Uh, I appreciate it. I, I love talking about this record again. I was just really. Be, really proud to be part of it absolutely so um there was a there was a vinyl reissue if i remember yep. for an yep. anniversary yes there was and there and there is it's still available um and if you don't have a record player the the uh the cd is available as well the 30th anniversary that we put out 15 years ago nice but so uh, uh, five years from now are you guys starting to look ahead to the big the big 50th anniversary of the album or will the circle be unbroken yeah hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Could just be. Just putting that out there. Just putting it out there. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm assuming that we'll still be doing this in five years, which, you know, God willing, happy to be uh, grateful to be able to go out there on the road and still play. That's the thing we have the, the, the best time doing is playing live. It, it seems like, how many dates do you guys play a year now? I think on average, on average, I'd say 65. Uh, last year we did like 80. This year we're going to do in the 50 range just to give it a little break because we're you know, that took a lot of tread off the tires, <laughs> but it was fun. Mm -hmm. I mean, that you know, the 50th uh, shows were really, and, and they still are super fun. Crowds have been great. It was nice. The PBS thing really, 
reminded people that we're still playing, which was really, you know, we're, we're grateful for that. Awesome, awesome. Well, yeah, can't wait to see uh, what else comes up down the road. We're playing Nashville on July 4th. Uh, hey. For the 4th of July celebration. And uh, if you live here in town, I'm assuming you do if you're hearing this, uh, come on down. Awesome. That's all right. That's a great lineup this year. Uh, and I'm sure it will be disgustingly hot, as is, or pouring rain, or both. Oh, uh, yeah, outdoors. We had we <laughs> we got rained out twice last year. And, and prior to last year, we hadn't been rained out in about 19 years. So, you know. You never know what you're going to get, but it's always fun. It's always an event playing outdoors. Absolutely. As long as no one gets electrocuted, it's fine. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> it's electrifying, not electrocuting. <laughs> well, as, as you said, like the Ryman was just like getting a shot of Red Bull. This would be like that, but 10,000 times more. <laughs> <laughs> Y'all have Einstein hair for the there rest of go. the day. Um, thank you so much, Jim. Thank you, Julie. Appreciate it.